Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to Season 2 of the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Well, welcome back to Imperfect. And I'm still in awe that we're now on season two And we continue to get amazing requests from heart-centered leaders all over the globe. And I have found yet another kindred spirit. And let me introduce you to my guest today, Jennifer Briggs. Jennifer is a senior strategy consultant at the Baster Institute. And it's an institute that works to advance the understanding and practice of employee ownership as both an effective and responsible business model. Previously, she was the Vice President of Human Resources with New Belgium Brewing for 13 years, and Jennifer helped to reshape both the business and grow the team for over 900 employees. So Jennifer Briggs, welcome to the show. Thank you, Deb. It's great to be here. Um, I'm excited about this. I'm excited to meet you and and we and we have to be transparent. We hit record and and we've been chatting for 10 minutes and we might be able to segue some some nuggets of wisdom, but I have definitely landed with another heart-centered leader and I really want to dig into the work that you were doing at the brewery and kind of where you landed now. So, I think my first question for you around leadership is You talk about how you involve both employees and employee ownership and how it can actually increase revenue. Share with us where that kind of mandate or thought leadership came from and what two-part question and how did you foster your leadership to have it unveil and, and kind of bring it to fruition, if you will? Yeah, you know... I I think I have to contrast a little bit from where I came from. So I came from pretty shrewd, conventional corporate world. Um, We idealized uh, Jack Welch and all that kind of stuff. So then I frankly got exhausted and my children had a little bit of an intervention with me and said, mom, we need you present at home because I was compartmentalizing myself so much in that world. And um, they, they had a discussion with their mother and said, hey, we need you back. So I left and I um, got hired at this little brewery, just a little brewery in Colorado. And I met Kim Jordan and all of all of her um, team. And we were less than 200 at the time that I joined them. But the the connection that I had to Kim is she was a former social worker and my undergraduate studies were in community health, which is is um, almost like public social psychology. And we were both in business um, because we had realized the power of business that it had on individual lives. And so being there radically transformed my view on um, what you can do. And I already had that belief in me because I'd seen it in other places. It's not a new idea, but the way they were living it. And really what she did is she gave us space to lead. 
Um, and that was powerful to have room to do the things that you need to do. And so one of the things that we did was this uh, process called open book management. It's where people are able, they understand the business, the financials are transparent to them. They understand you know, where the company is in any given moment um, financially. But what that empowers is distributed leadership. And it lets the executives in the company be in that role of servant leadership. So the reason that we're there as leaders is to make the people great, which makes the business great, which is a little bit of a different path from what you see other leaders. But then it gets into how do you help people be great? And so we did things like um, um, grit coaching, you know, the social emotional intelligence and helping people um, be able to connect with each other um, and be able to deal with their own emotions and emotional control so that they could show up both physically and more um, emotionally healthy in the workplace. And when you can do that, you can have uh, more creative tension and positive conflict, which you have to have in businesses. You have to have this tension where you wrestle with hard decisions. You have to have a value scheme that you're testing your decisions against. And so you can't just plug people in and do that. We have to look at how do we show up in the workplace? What are we capable of? And and taking people through that discovery process was just really important to me. And um, one of the things, I'm a skeptic fundamentally. So I'm always like, how does this work? What is this? Is it real? And so when I first joined the brewery, I was, my skepticism was pretty high given my background. And I, I guess, bought into it so much that it became a big, a big part of me. And two of the biggest compliments that I got there um, so we gave tours in our breweries. There's one in uh, Asheville, North Carolina, and one in Fort Collins, Colorado. And one of uh, my coworkers was giving a tour to guests, and he stopped to, he stopped his tour to introduce them to me. And how he introduced them to me is, this is the person that prevents us from becoming numbers. So I insisted, like, no one will ever have an employee number on their badge. It will always be their name and their photo. We will never tell people what their employee numbers are. So it really starts with super simple things that are symbolic. Um, we're human beings. We show up in the workplace as human beings. We are not numbers. That's an administrative tag that we have to have in our databases, but it does not belong in the workplace. It does not have a part in the work experience. Little things that... Um, you know, everybody's picture needs to be on their email. So when you're corresponding with someone, you're looking at them, you're seeing them, you're seeing them as a person and as a human. Um, we let people more or less have their own titles that were goofy. Uh, so mine was cultural curator, which wasn't so goofy. But, um, you know, so there was this place where people could be able to own their own identity and figure out how they fit in there as well as you know just the traditional things we have tasks to do we have jobs to do we have beer to make but all those things don't work as well if you're not you don't have this process of organizational democracy you don't have this process of transparency and you don't have this process of you know I'm going to say authentic but what authentic doesn't mean is just showing up I had this experience with someone where they were just a jerk and he told me he's like well I'm just being authentic well, you're kind of 
being authentically a jerk, you know, so let's like work on authentically being your best self. And so that, that being real process can turn into being real in the best way that I can be in the moment um, versus what we've kind of seen authenticity turn into in the negative perspective. Um, But it's just that constant every day, these, every moment matters, you know, for leaders, every interaction is an opportunity to build trust. And we have to take that seriously. Oh, absolutely. And, And what you're describing is a solid foundation of a heart centered culture and, and business acumen can have softness and approachability and vulnerability. And I just love the way you framed that. So my next question is, when do you think we realize that human resources, I just, I had to create this question because of what you just said. When was the right time that we've pivoted from human resources? I've never liked that name to talent and culture because talent and culture is what people are. Why did we pivot and why did it take so long? You know, I'm, this is the skeptic in me. I don't think we've fully made that pivot yet. Um, You know, one of the, the big ways we label HR now is we call it human capital, which is a label I like even less than human resources. Um, So in the academic world, you know, human resources is more of a body of knowledge. It's how we manage the human resources in our business. But the way it got translated into businesses, it's an HR department. So they're the folks that hold us accountable. They're the people that typically issue the consequences, you know, whether they're write-ups or terminations or whatever they be. Um, They're the ones that process payroll. So they're the processors of the humans. Um, And I think we've realized that that part's certainly necessary, but that's not what drives um, corporate performance. That's not what drives results. That's the bureaucracy that a lot of companies need. But I think we're questioning bureaucracy and how much of it do we need and how much does it really contribute to an organization being great. And so during our best years at New Belgium, uh, you know, we had a really, uh, uh, we did cultural branding. So, you know, that generally is looking at the zeitgeist and the public and matching your brand to that zeitgeist. The reason I think we did so wonderful is it also matched with our internal culture. So it was an authentic cultural brand. It wasn't contrived. Um, you know, when you saw the bike, we actually did bikes. Every employee got a bike. We were very much about this fun culture. And, and, uh, so it was an authentic way of showing up in the marketplace, but you can't show up authentically in the marketplace if it's not happening inside your business. So for us in particular, it was a strategic asset. And if you're going to be a lifestyle branded company and you're not living that lifestyle inside the company, you're, it's just not the customers. Customers are so savvy. They can figure out what's contrived and what's real. Um, so I think that's fundamentally the difference, but I think businesses and consumers are figuring this out. 
you know, you see a lot of research around consumer, consumer purchasing and they want things. They want to purchase from companies that have meaning. They want, um, I just, I bought some wine the other day and it's from an employee owned company because I know when I buy that wine, where the profit's going to go, it's going to go back into that company and back to the people who grow value. And that's what employee ownership does is it returns the value to the people that help create the value. And so it's very much a wonderful virtuous cycle um, that happens um, in that field. And employee ownership can take different versions, but um, you know, if how can we really transform business if the worker voice isn't there? How can we really transform business if if the value is constantly being taken out of our company and, and sent somewhere else. So it fundamentally starts there. But I think that's the HR thing is, is it a department that processes the humans or is it a body of work that helps the company be its best? And I think a lot of people are finally figuring that out. Well, and you look at executive teams now and, and what has creeped up both at the executive VP level and even the C-suite, we've got chief encouragement officers, chief heart officers. We have VP of HR. We have VP of talent and culture. We have CHRO. So companies are realizing they need to have someone at the helm of the people, aside from what you beautifully framed as the departmental work that needs to be done, the functional work, the processes. We just, you know, we need someone for the people, especially since we've had this onset of this pandemic. So beautiful. And I would take that even to another level. So what I also do is I'm an independent outside director, which means I serve on corporate boards. And so now you see people like me serving on boards of directors because, um, you know, boards of directors are really the value people, right? They're the, the people who are looking out for the stockholder, and we're starting to see that, you know, we saw the statement of purpose by the business roundtable, which, you know, what does that mean, really? How does it show up in, in the workplace and for businesses? But, um, you know, so at that point, I think we're starting to see the ideas of organizational psychology starting to, to grow on boards of directors. And that's, to me, that's really exciting because the governance processes of a company and how do leaders leaders shape the conditions that let people be their best? Um, boards are part of that accountability system to make sure that leaders are able to do that and that they are doing it. And um, you know, so I think it's it's. I hope it's at a tipping point where it is a common practice, um, not just a next practice, if you will. And I and I like to always preface that common practice by saying common sense belongs with the common practice. And and sometimes we don't have to we don't have to fog things or make them indescribable or unintentional or convey it in a way that people don't understand. There's so much power in that. Mm-hmm. Now I am I am bringing forward my favorite question from season 1 and it's always going to have a place in your trajectory to leadership and who you are right now in 2021, what imperfections does Jennifer Briggs bring to her leadership? Oh, that's such a, you know, I, for me, I am absolutely a hundred percent a product of my failures. 
Um, and that's something I'm openly willing to uh, admit. Um, you know, I started failing when I was very young. Um, so one of the, one of the parts of my story is um, I was a teenage mother. So I had my first daughter when I was a freshman in high school. And um, man, Morgan, my daughter has taught me so many valuable lessons. But you know, she's where I learned drive and ambition from, honestly. Because if I was going to create a better world, I mean, we all know the statistics around teen moms and single parents. Um, mostly you're destined to, to fail. Um, you're destined for poverty. You're unlikely to finish high school. You're definitely not likely to finish you know, college. That's not to say there's not bright spots, but when you look at the trends, it's just not. And um, so I learned from her and you know, even like being in the corporate machine, learning from the mistakes of Jack Welch um, and how that and I don't want to beat up on, on Mr. Welch, of course, but, you know, it lacked the soulfulness. Um, you know, so I have three children. I have, I'm on the verge of having my fourth grandchild. And um, I was a grandmother when I was 35 years old. And so all these lessons that you learn from the mentors around you. And I was so fortunate. This is where I believe in the, the idea of community, that common unity that brings us together. And so even when we don't have formal families, um, we have informal um, circles of influence. And, and I've, had, I've been so fortunate to have this circle of people around me. And even as an adult, there's a fellow that I work with. Um, his name's Clyde and he's in Birmingham, Alabama. He was one of my fellow board members and I could sit and listen to him forever. He had this aged wisdom of, of experience and, but it's that beating up process that we go through that turns us into better people. And it gives us rough edges, but it's the rough edges that gives us the, the beauty that we have. And so, um, yeah, I've, I've failed an awful lot, but I've been fortunate to have people around me that have helped me lift myself back up and, and keep it going. So we didn't end up in poverty. We spent some time in poverty, but um, I've worked as a video store clerk. I've worked as a bartender. I've, my kids were more or less latchkey kids because I couldn't afford daycare, um, you know, and we just scrapped and, but the bond that held us together created that scrappiness. Um, so we have a wonderful family now. Um, I have thrilling work. I get to work with amazing companies and people across the country. And now we're looking at reinventing work. And it's just because I've learned what not to do. Well, I, I'm going to join you in the club of the product of failures. I mean, who cannot say that? What an absolutely beautiful story of resilience and tenacity and grit. And I can only imagine the bond you have with your daughter, Morgan, and your other children and your grandma. And if that's not heart-centered leadership, I don't know what is. I love the vulnerability. I love the transparency. And I want to ask you as my last question for leadership, what do you think is your number one heart-centered leadership quality that you possess? And then tell us which one that you're working on daily to hone and be even better. You know, so one I think is uh, that I try to be good at every day. So maybe 
don't want to, I don't want to skip the second part of your question, but is situational awareness. Um, and, you know, that's a military concept as well as a leadership concept. So you be situationally aware in terms of like, how are people showing up? Where's their energy going? Um, so one woman I worked with, she's absolutely amazing. We're really great friends now. But when she was at work, I'd hear her voice, like she'd lean forward, she'd get excited. And I'd call her out on that. I'm like, why are you so excited right now? Like, do you realize you're talking faster? You're standing up straighter. You're leaning forward. Like you need to look into that and figure out where's that coming from? Cause that's where you need to keep going. It's that strength-based leadership um, as well as like seeing people when they were down, you know, um, and then figuring out how to help people build confidence. Just yesterday I was working with a gentleman and um, he's completely capable of doing amazing work. What I think is holding his back, holding him back is his own confidence. So, you know, every person is going to be unique and we're surrounded by all these challenges. So leaders have to be situationally aware so we can figure out what role do we play in their lives or sometimes what roles don't we play? Um, you talk about boundaries a lot and I'm a huge boundaries fan because sometimes people just need space. And, but you're not going to do that unless you have that mindfulness. Um, you know, there's a lot to being able to do that. Um, in the um, one that I'm working on most is, um, I guess, language. Um, it's such, you know, we have all these, you know, social media stuff. The woke crowd is getting a lot of, a lot of hashtagging lately. And I think there's, there's something there though, of how do we frame things? I met um, a person, a researcher who's researching the role of language in the workplace. And so this particular company had a, a line in their job description that said, you know, must have a sense of humor and how generationally different people read that line. Um, so um, some people read that line of like, you have to be able to handle some dark humor or sexual harassment or, you know, versus like just being lighthearted and being able to have fun um, and experience joy. And I do think this company meant the lighthearted joyfulness, not the be able to handle stuff, you know, that you might not like or that thinks inappropriate, but just that line and how people perceived the phrasing of that. So it's something I try to get better at of how do I phrase things in the most meaningful way that can land on people in the way I intend it to land. Um, Cause there's this line out there. It's about impact, not intention. It's the impact that matters. I think it's both. Um, you know, I need to be able to express things as I intend them. I need to have the language skills to express them as I intend them, but I also need to be mindful of what's the impact of what I'm going to say. And so you know, as we go through this time period of acute awareness of how people feel based on what we say, it's just something I need to get really, I want, I want to get really good at of how do we communicate, um, you know, versus just having a dialogue or a monologue. How, how do I make sure that, that there's connection and alignment and what I say? And, you know, one of the things I love that you say is like, we need this straightforwardness, straight talkness. Um, but that could be different for different people. And how do we not speak in euphemisms? Um, or how do we not speak in 
um, AKA wokeness and inadvertently either coddle people or hurt people um, through how we connect with them on language. So that's, that's the thing that I'm interested in for myself as a leader is, is how can I get really good at that? Well, and what I love about that is it brings me back to one of the elements that I have within my toolkit of heart-centered leadership qualities is self-care. Modeling self-care is foundational and it's not the person, place, or thing. It's exactly what you just described. When you have that mindset of self-care, language is in that toolkit. And I have three words that I have all my clients throw out with the trash. Sorry, busy, and just. How many times have you been sitting for lunch and somebody comes running in late and they're all frazzled and, you know, I always say thanks for waiting. Do you need to know that my babysitter was late, my dog ran out, there was a train? No. And when I'm calling you or emailing you, I'm not just calling you. There's intention there. So busy, sorry, just... They're all unintentional. They're they're part of the self-care toolkit. And, and I'm with you. It's one that I, I work on. And when I catch myself saying it, I say to my clients, you get to call me if I have a slip. And they do. And we laugh. And we laugh out loud because none of us are perfect. It's it's such an you know untangible reality. We're human beings and we we goof up. And like you said, we are a product of our failures. Like I love that. Let's just drop the mic on that new one. Who wants to be in our circle and be the product of failures? I'm in. I'm I'm with Jennifer Briggs on this one. All right, I'm going to switch to my fast fab four. We want to know what's sitting on that brilliant mind of yours. So here we go. Tell us something that we don't know about Jennifer Briggs. Oh, I think something that we don't know, I'm a pretty open person. Um, I think one of the things I'm actually highly introverted, I'm a learned extrovert. So, you know, um, I need space to think. Um, I am a fan of focus, not multitasking. And so I think because of the type of work that I've had to learn to do, you know, that you lean into things a lot. Um, you do make sure you're in the conversations well and, um, you know, doing whether it's public speaking or doing, you know, whatever. I think for me, my energy management, which is, you know, something I love that you talk about is I need space. I need reading. I love books. Um, I love quiet time. And I don't think that's something that a lot of people actually know about me. It's funny because I've been called outgoing, gregarious. And then when I say to people, I'm an introvert, they're like, no. I, 100 leaders that I interviewed last year, I'm going to say almost 90% of the leaders were true thought leaders and they live in the same camp as you and me. We need our space. We want our fuzzy slippers and our blanket and our tea <laughs> or our wine, depending on the day. And I'm I'm with you. I have to have what I call a power session. I need that focus. Sometimes there's no noise. Sometimes it's music. Sometimes it's a podcast. It's It's going with what you feel you need in the moment to get to that level. And a lot of times I come out of a meditation 
and I have a pad and a pen and it's like, okay, I got to get this stuff down. Mm -hmm. So I'm so with you on that alignment of being an introvert in focus. And I find it fascinating because everybody I'm meeting and having on the podcast is in, they're in the same camp. So it's that like attract like. Okay, second question. Finish this sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is? It's about your relationship with other people. Um whatever that means for you, whether, you know, I'm thinking, cause I'm, I happen to be doing this at home right now. Well, my home office right now, but, um, the relationship that I have with my neighbors, the relationship that I have with my children. Um, so heart, heart centered leadership is really about that connection, but I also think, you know, where I exist is in the world of community. So it's broader than just a one-on-one connection. It's the network or the, you know, the matrix, the array that we build with all the people we interact with, um, and, and how it multiplies. Third question. Tell us a book you're reading right now, the title, the author, and why you're reading it. Oh, I am reading Circe. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm forgetting who uh, wrote it. It's one of the, the best-selling books, but it's, so I joined uh, the Joseph Campbell book club and I love um, studying uh, Joseph Campbell's work and the, the hero's journey because it's, you know, I think fundamental to our human experience. And so Circe, um, you know, is this very mythical study of, of how this character, her journey through life and the experiences with the dark and, and the light. And um, so, yes, that's what I'm, I'm reading now and I'm loving it. And my last question, what is one thing that you want our listeners to remember about Jennifer Briggs? Oh, to remember about me. I think it, it is that, you know, not to, to hide from our failures and to be okay. If you're a leader in a business, one of the companies I work with, um, I've been on a consulting project with them for a couple of years now when we call it reinventing work. And when we get together as a working group, if something's happened, we do stop the meeting and acknowledge it. And so, um, with all the tragedies, um, we're, we're a very diverse team and talking about how do these things um, affect people, the violence uh, with the Black community that's been happening. And so um, it just, I'm very, even now I can feel my heart getting heavy um, when we talk about it. So, you know, I guess to know about me is I actually feel I feel deeply, but I don't know if it's an introversion or something else. I don't always express it, but I think it's important when you feel those deep things is to get comfortable with expressing it. So, you know, that's, it's one of my quirks that I have of not necessarily always being able to express it, but it's something that I work really hard on. So, you know, that I, I do tend to feel deeply and carry these things with me. And it's something that I work on all the time is how do you carry them with them as a gift and not carry them with you as, as a weight. Um, so, um, you know, it's, it's carrying, figuring out how to carry the weight, um, is something that I'm always working on. And, um, but it's that systems thinking again, 
you know, how do we do these things? And I'm always thinking about a system. I'm actually rarely thinking about the individual. So that's, it's one of my quirks and maybe my gift and my strength is um, I focus on the system. Well, I love that. Well, I'm, I'm going to leave with Jennifer Briggs on my heart and the elements of employee ownership and effectiveness and just heart-centered, mind-aligned responsibility. So it was delightful to meet you. I'm, I'm in your circle now. I tell all my guests, I'm a life sentence for you. You are stuck with Deb Crow and all her imperfections. And it's the start of a beautiful relationship and friendship. So thank you for spending time with me today. Yes, thank you. And it, I am excited to be part of this community. Um, it's, it's just your speakers have been wonderful. Thank you for all that you do. And thank you for helping us all be better. Well, I want to leave our listeners today with kind of a wrap up to the last thing that you just spoke about around remembering you. And we always want to figure out the formula for systematic thinking and allow our thoughts to be systematic. And I just want to anchor you back to the imperfections, the heart centeredness. And and when we have our brain and our mind aligned, it'll always allow us to lead and think and be and behave intrinsically. So thanks again for joining me. And until next time, this is Deb Crow on Imperfect. You've been listening to the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.